Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. Again, good morning. Grace, uh, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, too, just wanted to uh, reiterate uh, a word of thanks to you, the congregation, uh, and to you as individuals as well for all the kind gifts uh, and cards and, and that you gave Liz and I last week. Uh, you have truly blessed us beyond uh, measure, and we, uh, we definitely don't deserve you. So, uh, again, thank you very much. Have you ever, uh, have you ever been homesick? Have you ever been homesick? I think it's a, a safe bet that uh, homesickness is something that all of us have experienced at one point in our lives or another. A couple of weeks ago, my sister visited us from the UP of Michigan, uh, along with her five kids. They were here in church a couple of weeks ago and sat somewhere there-ish instead of the usual there-ish, right? And their, their second, uh, Micaiah, who's seven years old, uh, got a little bit homesick during her stay. Uh, she began missing home. She began missing her bed, missing her dad. And while visiting cousins and playing all day is, is great, you begin to long for a sense of normalcy, uh, longing for that sense of belonging, uh, longing for a sense of home. And that's really what homesickness is, isn't it? It's a re recognition of a lack of belonging. Uh, something is off. I don't belong here. I belong elsewhere. And this fall, we've been working our way through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, this morning, we'll finish up the third chapter. Last week, Pastor Lloyd led us through the first half of the chapter, and we saw that our confidence should not be in ourselves and in our works, but only in Christ and in his death and resurrection for us. And then in this last half of chapter 3, Paul taps into his own sense of homesickness and he encourages the Philippians to set their focus beyond the shadow of this life and to press on uh, towards an eternal goal. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 12 through 21. Why don't you stand as well this morning as I read God's word. Philippians chapter 3, again, starting at verse 12, reading in Jesus' name. Paul writes, not that I have already attain, obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom 
I have often told you and now even uh, tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory in, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, passage of Scripture that you uh, inspired the Apostle Paul to write. Lord, thank you that uh, it's still just as relevant uh, as it was 2,000 years ago. Lord, help us to uh, take this text and to see it. uh, uh, It's a familiar text, but help us to see it with a a fresh pair of eyes as well this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I press on, Paul says, twice in the opening parts of these verses. He emphasizes this this pressing on. He says, I press on to make it my own. Then in verse 14, I press on towards the goal. So what is he pressing on towards? What is the goal that he is striving after? What is the, the this and the it that he's referring to, that he's trying to attain and make his own? And to answer that, we need to look at verse 12 in its context. This means that we need to back up and look at the preceding verses to help remind ourselves of what Paul has been talking about. And and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but in this first section of chapter 3, Paul urges the Philippians not to return to legalism, not to follow circumcision. He tells them not to put any confidence in the works of the flesh or earthly works or achievements. Instead, Paul says that everything he's accomplished is loss and rubbish compared with the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And his prayer in verse 10 is that he might come to know him, know Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection. And I believe that's the this that Paul is referring to as as he is pressing on. And it's the, the resurrection that he is pressing towards. He's pressing on that he might make the resurrection his own. This is the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that he's talking about, that he's hoping to achieve and making his own. Uh, He didn't want Christianity for him to be a a mere head knowledge, but a deep, meaningful relationship with his Savior, in in which would would culminate with his own resurrection after his death. And so that's what he is pressing on towards. That's what he is seeking to achieve. And Paul knows that he can only press on towards the goal of the resurrection and make it his own, because as he said in verse 12, Christ Jesus has made me his own. And for Paul, this happened on the way to Damascus. We're familiar with that story from Acts chapter 9, right? Um, He was on his way to persecute Christians when when he saw the bright light and he heard the voice from heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was blinded and led into the city of Damascus. And there he met with a, a Christian named Ananias who met with Paul, shared the gospel with him, discipled him. Uh, Paul regained his sight and uh, Paul saw his life did a complete 180. And he immediately began to preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ had made Paul his own. Has Christ made you his own? 
Have you let him into your life? Have you received the grace, the mercy, the forgiveness that is there? If not, today is the day, right? He would say later on, now is the day of salvation. Take him up on that. Let him make you his own. And ultimately, this goes back to the cross, doesn't it? Because it was at the cross that Jesus gave his life for you. Uh, There on the cross, he died for you, shedding his blood for you, taking the punishment that your sin deserved, ransoming your life from death. At the cross, Christ made you his own. And because of that, we can have the grace and the mercy, forgiveness, and a new life in him. And if Philippians 3.12 isn't your own personal testimony of faith, today would be a good day to make it so. He is waiting, waiting to make you his own. He wants you to be sure of the goal, of the prize, of the upward call, life everlasting. And that's a, a goal that's truly worth pressing on for, isn't it? And so how is Paul pressing on towards this goal? How is he pressing on towards attaining the resurrection? In verse 13, Paul tells us that he's, uh, he starts by pressing on by forgetting what lies behind him. Forgetting what lies behind him. And what lies behind him? I think he's referring to some of the things that we looked at last week. Some of the things that he once placed his confidence in, his trust in, his assurance in. But now, because of his relationship with Jesus, he considered all of those things to be rubbish, right? To be uh, discarded and thrown away. All that he once held dear, all that he built his life upon, as as the hymn goes, uh, was uh, now worthless compared with the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Paul no longer trusts in his own goodness, in his own righteousness to save him, but he puts his faith and his hope squarely in Jesus. And so Paul, as he pressed on, he did so, leaving behind the accomplishments, the the former gains, and putting those behind him. And he also says in verse 13 that he presses on towards the goal by straining forward to what lies ahead. Straining forward to what lies ahead. And some of our English translations put this uh, verb actually pretty mildly. They say uh, reaching towards or or looking forward to the future or or something like that. Uh, But the the Greek word that Paul uses there, epikatenomenos, it's a a sporting word uh, used in athletics. Literally, it means to exert yourself to the uttermost exerting yourself to the uttermost. And the imagery that comes to mind is of an Olympic athlete, Olympic runner, right, straining to win the weight race and collapsing just after she's crossed the finish line, winning the race. She has exerted herself to the uttermost, right? Or I, I also picture a, uh, a running back with the football, right, headed towards the end zone, pushing the pile, dragging defenders, carrying would-be tacklers along with him on his back, churning his legs, striving to cross the plane of the goal, the end zone. Think of Logan Johnson, right? (laughs) Pounding his way to the end zone this last week and what gave a game-winning score, right? Exerting himself to the uttermost, straining forward. That's the picture here that Paul is using. That's what he is giving. And Christians... (laughs) Ought we not to pursue and to press on towards the resurrection and eternal life in Christ 
with that same energy, with that same uh, passion and drive, pushing on, straining to what lies ahead. So often we, we approach things like this, church, Sunday mornings, time in God's with a eh, whole hum attitude, passively going through uh, the motion, standing when being asked to stand, sitting when asked to sit, reading along when, when somebody reads scripture, singing the songs just because everybody is singing around you. But what if we exerted the same energy, Christians, in memorizing scripture as we did in memorizing football stats? What if we put as much focus on our relationship, the relationships that we can develop here and our relationship with Christ as we do with the relationship statuses of the, of the celebrities that we follow? What if we devoted as much time to watching and listening to sermons as we did binge-watching Netflix? What would happen to our spiritual lives? I think we would grow. We should exert ourselves to the uttermost in spiritual matters because this goal, the resurrection, uh, the goal of the prize of the upward call of God, it's the greatest of goals, the highest of prizes. Your earthly accomplishments, yes, they're valuable, but they're temporary, right? They will not last. The, The highs from your accomplishments, the the, the, the job promotions, the records you set, anything, everything that you gain here on this life, it's, it's fleeting, it's temporary. But eternal life is eternal, right? It lasts forever. And don't lose sight of that. Keep pressing on towards that goal, forgetting what lies behind, straining, exerting yourself to the uttermost, to what lies ahead. And there's a final way that Paul says that he's pressing on towards this goal. We read about that in verses 15 and 16. Paul presses on and encourages the Philippians to press on, willing to accept correction as needed. Look again at verses 15 and 16. He says, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Not many of us are perfect, are we? (laughs) To those of you who are, the rest of us mere mortals, we're envious of you, right? (laughs) But us commoners, we often sin, and we fall short, don't we? We are in need of correction. And the Lord, through his word, by his Holy Spirit, and and quite often, if we're honest, through the means of other believers, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, will reveal where we fall short and where we sin. And so, Paul says, be willing to be corrected when wrong. This is how you press on. This is part of growth. And when we press on, Paul says that we, are, we await our true citizenship. And that's the emphasis in the second half of this text. Uh, look at verses 16 and following again. I know we, we just read them, but let's look at them here again. Paul says, only let us hold true to what we have attain, attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their bellies, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in 
heaven. Citizenship is a, a wonderful blessing, is it not, right? It means that you're part of something larger than just yourself. Citizenship gives you a sense of belonging. You're part of a nation with certain rights and privileges, with benefits and duties. And our true citizenship isn't here yet, Paul says. We need to wait for it. And as we await our true citizenship, Paul reminds us not to get distracted. Most of us don't need any help getting distracted, do we? We're all too flighty and too, uh, too easily distracted. Our phones, right, they, they constantly buzz with notifications, snaps, tweets, messages, reminders, to-dos, videos uh, that you'd like to watch. And then all of a sudden, right, after you go to check a simple text message, you're 45 minutes down into this rabbit trail and wondering, oh man, what was I doing here to begin with, right? We don't need any help getting distracted. And so as we await our citizenship, Paul says, don't get distracted. And part of not getting distracted, it involves holding true to what you believe. That's the emphasis in verse 16. He says only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Hold true to what we have obtained. Earlier, Paul reminded us that as we are pressing on towards this goal, we need to be willing to uh, accept correction. But yet, at the same time, we need to be firm in what we believe and, and what we know to be true. Let us hold to what we have attained. Don't be willing to compromise the gospel or the core truths of Christianity. Hold firm, hold true to these things, Paul says. Be willing to accept correction when you're wrong, yes, but don't let go of the truth of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. Hold true. And also, as we press on, awaiting our true citizenship, Paul encourages us to remember our discipleship. That's the, the emphasis in verse 17. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. At first glance, this verse uh, might seem like Paul is arrogantly promoting himself, stroking his own ego, right? Imitate me. Look at me and do what I do because, you know, I'm so holy and righteous and good. But anybody who has read Paul's other letters and even this one will know that Paul's encouragement here in verse 17 is not self-serving like that. Paul would be the first one to tell you how far short of perfection uh, and far, how far short of the perfect example he has been. Um, over his life, with his life, with his words, Paul was always pointing people not to the example of himself, right, but to the example of his Savior, Jesus Christ. And this call here in verse 17 is an encouragement to the Philippian believers to remember their discipleship, remember those who have poured into you, those who have invested their time and energy into you and your faith. And we talked about that concept of discipleship a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Timothy and Epaphroditus and how Paul had poured himself into both of these guys. And then Timothy was to go on and to spread that into others as well, right? Don't forget those who have poured into you, who have put their time, their energy into you. Don't get distracted. Paul has one last word to say on not getting distracted in verses uh, 18, 19, and 20, he, he charges us uh, not to follow the example of the enemies of the gospel. Look at these verses. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now even with tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. 
These enemies he's referring to are, I believe, the same enemies that we talked about uh, last week, right? Uh, again, at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul writes of people who are abandoning the freedoms that they have in Christ uh, and are, are looking to return to the legalism of Judaism. He says, look out for the dogs in verse 2, right? Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, and last week, Pastor Lloyd talked about how uh, these enemies were trying to get people to stop trusting in Christ and to start trusting in their own circumcision and their own good works, uh, their own legal obedience to the law for salvation. And Paul warned the Philippians and, and still warns us today, watch out for those enemies of the gospel who seek to lead you away from Christ. And it's easy and frankly natural to want to turn back to legalism and a, and a works righteousness instead of following Christ, instead of resting in Christ's completed work for us, especially for those of us with a, with a strong Puritan work ethic, right? There, there's no such thing as a free lunch. If you, if you want something, you have to go out and earn it, right? No pain, no gain, right? And a myriad of other things that your dad told you as you were growing up, right? And wrongly, that, that attitude can creep into our relationship with the Lord. We think that if he is to love us, if he is to forgive us, if he is to hear our prayers, then we must be good enough uh, for, and work hard enough to earn his grace and his favor and his merit and his love. But that is so contrary to the, to the message of the gospel, to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The good news is that Jesus Christ has died for you, right? Bringing God's grace, his mercy, his forgiveness to you. Not of your own good works, not of your own being perfect, but by simply receiving it by faith, by belief, by trusting in Jesus, right? So be aware of those enemies who, who tell you differently. Keep your eyes on Christ. And then he finally says here, keep your eye on the goal. That's his, that's his final word as we await our citizenship. Keep your eye on the goal. I want to read these verses because I love them so much, and I've read them so many times today. You're probably sick of them, but I love them. He says again in verse 20, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. We've talked about it a little bit this morning, but we finally get to talk about this, this concept of our citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And many of those who, who comprise the church in Philippi uh, were Roman citizens, right? Uh, living in Philippi with all of the rights, with all the privileges, with all the benefits that that Roman citizenship entailed. And uh, the Greek word that Paul uses here for citizenship, uh, polytima, is a, it's kind of a fun word. It actually denotes a colony of foreigners or a group of relocated veteran soldiers. Okay? The word was used to refer to Roman soldiers who were stationed at a remote Roman outpost, a garrison maybe outside of the Roman Empire, and living in that strange city, that strange nation. But as they did, they still held on to their Roman citizenship. And this, uh, this word, politumai, also refers to other groups of citizens from one city who relocated to another but still considered themselves members of their home city, right? These were, uh, if you will, expats, right? Living in a foreign nation but still holding on to the citizenship of the country that they left. 
And I think that that paints a beautiful picture for, for the Christian, for you and for I. Our citizenship is in heaven. We live here on earth, but our citizenship, our true, lasting, eternal citizenship is in heaven. And this has been the experience of, of God's people. This has been the reality of God's people throughout the ages, looking, longing for our eternal home. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews describes right this hall of faith. And as he does, he describes the Old Testament saints who had uh, faith in the Lord and in the coming Messiah. And then he described what they did by faith, right? By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Isaac did that. And so on and so forth, right? But in the middle of that chapter, there's a, a beautiful interlude and a commentary really on this concept of being uh, foreigners, being a, a colony of heaven, foreigners longing for our true home. Uh, listen to kind of the, the expat language here, the longing for our true citizenship. All of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Did you keep, catch some of that, uh, that expat language there, the, the citizenship language there? The Old Testament saints longed for their, for their true, eternal home in the heavens. The author of Hebrews there described him again as strangers, exiles, seeking a homeland, seeking a better country, a heavenly one, one that's been prepared by the Lord. Brothers and sisters, this world is not our home, right? Glendon, Fargo-Moorhead, Minnesota, North Dakota, even the United States of America, this place is not our home. None of these are our true, lasting home. These places are not where our true citizenship is is. Nations come and go, rise and fall, but our true citizenship is eternal, eternal in the heavens. So where does your primary allegiance lie? Is it to the Lord and to our eternal home, or is it to the nation here and her leaders here on earth? Our, tr our, our true home, our true citizenship should have our eternal allegiance. And this doesn't mean that we, as we long for our, our, our true citizenship in heaven, our, our lasting home in heaven, that we should give up on this life from earth here and withdraw from all of our societal obligations. Yes, we are longing for our heavenly home, but we're also called right here and right now to be good citizens in, in the cities, in the states, in the nation that we live in. We pay our taxes, we vote in the elections, we protest injustices, we call and contact our local and national representatives and senators. We, we go to school board meetings, we run for public office and serve in the military. We pray for our local, state, and national leaders. And yet as we do so, we remember that this world is not our home. We are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are a colony of foreigners, expats whose kingdom has yet to be fully inaugurated. We keep our eyes on that goal, our citizenship. And we also keep our eyes on the goal of his return. He says our citizenship is in heaven and from it, from heaven, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Someday, hopefully soon, our Savior King Jesus will return from heaven, from our true home, and take us to be with him for all eternity. And when he does return, we will be, as Paul writes in verse 21, transformed. So Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In eternity, when our Savior returns, we will be transformed. And what we will be has not yet been revealed, Paul told the Corinthian church, but we get glimpses of it in Scripture, uh, specifically looking at Jesus after his own resurrection. And our transformed bodies will be, as Paul described them here, they will be glorious, perfected bodies without flaws. I don't know if we're going to be able to appear in in locked rooms like Jesus did. That'd be kind of cool uh, if we could, right? (laughs) But we know that we'll have a physical body just like Jesus did. We know that we will uh, eat food, we'll be held on to like Jesus was, right? We know that we'll be in a body free from sin, free from the, the looming threat of death. Could you imagine all the things that you could do if you were, weren't afraid about dying when you were doing them? <laughs> right? Skydiving, ziplining, all of those things, right? Transformed, glorious. That's our true inheritance, where our true citizenship lies. In, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, C.S. Lewis describes this concept of our longing for our true citizenship. And as Lewis gave the the radio addresses that eventually became the book, Mere Christianity, uh, the world is engaged in World War II. And Lewis's uh, nation, England, is under constant threat from the Nazi army and from the Nazi air force. At any moment, the air raid sirens might go off. The Germans could land an assault on the British coast. And Lewis, uh, addressing a world at war, describes this concept of of true citizenship in this way. He says, the universe is at war, a civil war, a rebellion, and we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory. That's what this world is. We are living right now in enemy-occupied territory. That's why we have a sense of homesickness. We don't belong in this world that's under the power of the devil. This world is not our true home. But Lewis continues with some, uh, some real, some practical advice as we live in this enemy-occupied territory. He goes on to say, Christianity is the story of the, how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling on us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. And when you go to church, you are really listening into the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. <coughs> How do you engage the enemy, uh, the devil, as you live in this uh, occupied, enemy-occupied territory, longing for your true home? Lewis says that you are to follow the rightful king, King Jesus, into battle. And as you do, do knowing uh, that you are, uh, do, do all that you're doing now, he basically says, right? Go to church, hear from God's word. That's the secret wireless that he was referring to, right? Partake, uh, find your strength in the Lord's Supper. Do these things, right? <laughs> Coming to church, doing what we're doing this morning is so much more than just a habit, isn't it? It's not about the social connections that you make. It's not about doing your due diligence. It's not 
You're not here making grandma happy. It's not even about the coffee and cookies after service, right? Gathering together each Sunday morning is about getting equipped, getting outfitted, getting strengthened for your battle against the enemy as you live in this enemy-occupied territory. And each time we gather together here, it's a, it's a preview, a foreshadow, a, a small taste, really, of when all of God's saints across time and space will gather together in eternity in our true homeland and when our faith shall be sight. Amen? Heavenly Father, how we long for that day. Lord, we know that we are living in enemy-occupied territory, but we know that the, uh, the battle is won, the war is, is over. Jesus has died and risen victorious over sin, death, and the devil. But as we uh, live on this earth, we have all these little mop-ups and skirmishes and, and fights against the devil. We pray that you would strengthen us in our faith, support us as we go through every trial of our lives, Lord, and be with us, Lord, as we live in this enemy-occupied territory. And we long for the time, oh, oh Father, that you would send your son, Jesus, uh, the true king, back and will make all things right. Amen. Maranatha, come, Lord. Amen. Before we have uh, privilege of uh, partaking of Holy Communion, we'll be singing uh, number 502 in your ambassador hymnal. I'm pressing on the upward way. Again, 502 in your ambassador hymnal.
pilgrims pressing on, uh, sojourning in, in enemy-occupied territory. It's, uh, again, vital to gather together and to do what we've done today, right? Hear God's word, be strengthened uh, through his word, through his sacrament. And we have that privilege this morning to partake in uh, Holy Communion. And again, you do not need to be a member here at Maranatha to receive communion. We ask that you uh, examine your own heart to make sure you are right with the Lord before partaking in that. And again, if you're of uh, the Lutheran, uh, a part of a Lutheran denomination, we ask that you wait till confirmation age to receive that. But you're all up, invited up uh, to receive a blessing, uh, even if you will not, will not take uh, communion this morning. Just one more uh, note, the ushers will be... Um, dismissing you and lining up kind of on the side aisles and then coming up and you'll be going out by the uh, middle aisle there as well. Uh, so before we do that, uh, hear the exhortation this morning. Dear friends in Christ, in order that you may receive his whole, this holy sacrament in a worthy manner, you should carefully consider what you must now believe and do. For the words of Christ, this is my body which is given for you, this is my blood which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. You should believe that Jesus Christ is present with his body and blood as the words declare. And from Christ's words, the forgiveness of sins, you should also believe that Jesus gives to you his body and blood to strengthen your assurance that your sins are forgiven. And finally, you should do as Christ commands you when he says, take, eat, drink of it all of you. This, is, this do in remembrance of me. And if you believe these words of Christ, you can do as he has commanded, and, and you have properly examined yourselves and may eat of Christ's body and drink of his blood in a worthy manner. You should also unite in giving thanks to Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for so great a gift, and should love one another with a pure heart, and thus, with the whole Christian church, have comfort and joy in Christ our Lord. To this end, may God the Father give you his grace through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer that our Lord taught us? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.